From Boston University and BU Alumni Relations, welcome to Proud to Be You Around the World. I'm your host, Jeff Murphy, and this season, we're taking the podcast on the road to meet some of our most interesting and accomplished alumni navigating life and careers in cities across the globe. My guest today is Joe Maruka. Joe graduated from the Questrom School of Business in 1981 with a bachelor's degree in business administration. He was a lifelong volunteer firefighter before becoming fire chief of the West Barnstable Department on Cape Cod, Massachusetts in 1994. Today, in addition to his role as chief, he's also a practicing attorney and is proud of the many hats he's able to wear as a leader in his community. Joe and I had a really great conversation about what it was like to be a student leader on campus during the John Silver era at BU, and he offered some sage advice for anyone navigating uncertainty as they consider their next professional steps. Chief Maruka from West Barnstable Fire, thank you so much for being here today. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's it's wonderful to be back here. Does everybody in your life just call you Chief? I'm like desperate to have somebody in my life that I just call Chief all Most the time. Most people call me Chief or Joe. Your wife, your family? No, they, my family does not call me Chief. Yeah. Um, and it was hard. I For a long time, it was difficult even for me to accept being called Chief. How long have you been Chief? I've been Chief for 14 years. So how long did it take you to get used to it? 13? 13 years, yeah. 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 I'm finally, uh, even I don't even really put it on all my emails the way people do. Uh, I still sign off Joe or Joe Maruka. Do you think this is, I mean, I'm assuming you're familiar with the term imposter syndrome. Do you feel like that applies here? Well, a little bit. You know, sometimes I I, I don't like wearing a uniform. Uh, I call it a costume. Uh, you know, I, I pull it out for occasions, but I, I try to avoid it. Yeah. Uh, I, I really don't know what drives that. I've never been comfortable with titles. Well, I'm certain that we're going to uncover today all of the things that you've done that helped you earn that title. Um, but I, I want to find out, you know, your origin story for wearing your My costume. Origins. Yeah. Um, you, did you grow up? I, I, you live on the Cape now. Did you grow up there? Where did you no, grow up? No, I, I grew up in uh, western Massachusetts. Where? I was born in Springfield, oh, and sure. I, I lived there till I was 10 years old. Okay. And then we moved to Longmeadow, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. which is right next door. And I graduated from high school there in 1977. Did you have other public servants in your life or firefighters even that you sort of— No, there, there is no history to this in my family, which is unique for the fire service sure. in some ways. I, I'm one of the few people who is a draftee in the fire service. I may be the only person who was ever drafted. I was in high school— and it was April vacation, and I was up at the hardware store, and there was a fire, and they needed bodies and people to drag equipment and hose, and I helped because I happened to be standing in the crowd, and they conned me into stopping at the fire station on the way home, and I was a volunteer firefighter ever since for the rest of my life. Fascinating. Yeah. But, you know, looking at what you studied in school and, you know, what you did after school, it doesn't sound like you ever really had plans on going into a career in the fire service? No, because I was a volunteer up until I be, the day I became fire chief. Oh, I didn't realize you became chief right. Oh, I thought I, I went straight from volunteer firefighter to chief. No kidding. Yes. Okay. Well, tell me how you got to be you. <laughs> you know, you were in Longmeadow, not too far away. What, what brought you to Boston University? Um, I wanted to go to school in a city. I was growing up in a small town in New England and very kind of classic New England world and small town life. And I thought a city would be fun to try. And, uh, and I got lucky. 
I got very lucky that I landed at BU. Yeah. Um, you know, I applied to all the colleges in Boston, uh, New York, Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, I, I chased a lot of places, and I got turned down by almost all of them. Uh, but I got into BU, and I got lucky getting in. And I think I get in because I had a guidance counselor who said, this is the place for you. And, and he got on the phone or he did whatever guidance counselors do to get somebody in somewhere. You and I were talking before we got started, but you, you got to campus a little bit early today and we're walking around, even though it's a little bit chilly on this November morning. <laughs> Tell me what, what places you wanted to see while you were back on campus and kind of what you were thinking about while you were strolling around. Well, it's fun. I started my walk at what we called Auditorium Station, uh, which is, I guess, it's, is it? It's the Mass Ave uh, Green Line Station by the Prudential Center. Okay. I don't know. What oh, we, you mean Heinz? Heinz. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, it's called yeah. today. It used to be Auditorium in my era. Got it. And uh, that was the station that I used a lot. And I walked from there uh, down to Danielson Hall on Beacon Street. You lived at Danielson? I at lived at Danielson. Yeah. Um, the Marlboro Market is still there. Mm-hmm. Crossroads is gone. It uh, is? It is gone. That's recent. It is recent. Oh, wow. I, I continued to go there for the past 40 years, but it did, it did go out about two years ago. Oh, I didn't I realize it yeah. happened that long ago. Wow. Yeah, it's for lease. It's available if there's anyone wants to go in on a bar with me. Um, and I walked up to Miles, which was our dining hall. Mm-hmm. And You uh, lived at Danielson and had to eat at Miles? Yes. Wow. I assume <laughs> they still do that today. I don't know. No, no, I, no. There are many more dining options. Students today have a much easier life than you did. I suspect so. And uh, I went, walked around Kenmore Square and and lamented it, how sterile it has become compared to the, it, it was a dirty, horrible place if you were a parent in 1977, <laughs> but if you were 18 years old and being dropped off for college, this was uh, playland. This was, this was, we loved it. We talked you know? a little bit about, you know, um, the places that you, you haunted when you were a student. What, tell us a little bit about the classroom experience. You know, you, you came in directly to School of Management, which is now obviously, as, as we were talking about earlier, the Questrom School of Business. Did you have intentions on a career in business at that time or I, was it? I did, I thought this was my path. Yeah. I, I was gonna go into business. I, I don't know what that meant. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I had no real clue, to be honest with you, what I was really doing in life. I, I feel like today that, that high school students have a much clearer vision than maybe well, I, think I and my peers did. I hope that for high did. school students, right? I, I don't think it's such a good thing necessarily. Um, I've, a- I've had a great professional career and a great life, and I've had to reinvent myself more than once. Mm-hmm. And uh, coming to BU was uh, kind of the foundation for all my success. Are there classes or professors or other experiences you had here that you look back on and, and can see that they had some influence on you? I, I think I saw that you also were involved in student government when you were a student. I was. Yeah. You know, I was the president of Danielson Hall and okay. I was the executive vice president of the student union yeah. uh, when I was a senior. But, uh, you know, it's funny. I I, uh, I was thinking, who, who were the most influential people? And... Uh, from my era, you can't you, – you, one name, and it's John Silber. Yeah. Uh, he defines our era here at BU. Uh, dislike him or like him, it, it, he defines it. It's, I can't really even – I can't even name other names on this campus as I was driving up here this morning. 
I was trying to think of professors' names. Yeah. And, and I thought, John Silver was like this, this face in the sky looking down <laughs> on us at all times, telling us what we were doing wrong. You, you, you. You know, you're, you're doing that wrong, and you're you're wrong, and you're. It was it was such a an experience. Yeah. Do your feelings about him have they changed over the years as you've seen what BU has become, or as you've matured into the the upstanding citizen you are today? I would say that my feelings or my thoughts about him have nuanced. Yeah. They really haven't changed. Sure. Um, he he had a vision, a great vision, and and I always knew that, and I. I understood that in, in his, even when I was here as a student, even when I didn't appreciate him yelling at me. Yeah. And uh, he just, he couldn't help himself. He was like genetically predisposed to be rude and offensive to everybody <laughs> around him. And even when he had a great idea, he just undermined it in, in that sense. But I, I, I did learn a lot from dealing with him yeah. or from, you know, I attended every student forum with him for four years. Right. If I could argue with him today, uh, I'd be his equal. Mm. And, That's uh, saying something. It, it would be a very different conversation than we had when I was a freshman and we were protesting something right. in a hall. And he could beat us down because, yeah, he was smarter than we were at that time. It wasn't that he was more intelligent than we were. It's just that he had more life ability and experience. And he forgot. It was, his job was to teach us to be smart. He, of course we were dumb students, which is what he kept reminding us. Well, your job was to change that, not to beat us over the head with it. But it, 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 it just, it's an interesting, when you look back on it and you look at the school today, there's no doubt that this was his vision to create a great right. university. Yeah. And he succeeded in, in that sense. He may have succeeded at the kind of the lost generation of alumni and a lost generation of students who I think have very mixed feelings about being students from that era. No, you're absolutely right. And, and one of the joys that I've, I get to do in this role in interviewing alumni is hearing those stories. And, you know, you, you're you not telling uh, a unique tale. And I think what, what is interesting is that you probably had more inter- direct interaction with him than most with your role on the student government. And I'm curious, as you're sort of talking about that, that um, push, give and take, the push and pull of it all, the yin and the yang of the good and the bad of, of having those interactions with him, how do you feel like that's influenced you as the leader of a, you know, uh, community service organization. It has. It has. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt that I learned things. I learned some good things from him, but one of the theories that I'll give you in life is everybody needs a negative role model. Interesting. And he serves sometimes as a negative role model. I think to myself, what would John Silver do in this situation? And maybe I should do the opposite. <laughs> maybe I should shut my mouth and smile. <laughs> and step back a little bit rather than than shoving my finger in somebody's face and telling them they're wrong. Yeah. Even when I know they're wrong. Right, right, right. <laughs> sure. Sometimes, uh, you know, that's a better way to do it. I'm thinking uh, of some negative role models I've had in my life without being being able to put that And, and he isn't the on. only one. I don't want to throw him in that. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, I, there's two or three people in my life that I, I think were negative role models that I learned a lot from that have a great influence on how I manage an organization today. Yeah. I think it makes a, a lot of sense. So um, you have th- these 
this idea that you're going to go into business, and I'm curious to know what you, what that, the process of graduating, <laughs> you know, what what path did you think you were going on, and, and what did you do? What decisions you did you make? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I worked at Radio Shack. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I graduated from Boston University. I, I went home to Western Massachusetts. I had no clue what I was going yeah. to do. Yeah. I bumbled around for the summer at the fire station as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you could tell, it didn't pay very well. I taught people how to drive. I did some driver and ins- driving instructing. And, uh, and I did some uh, sales at the Radio Shack in West Springfield, Massachusetts mm-hmm. through the Christmas rush. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. I hadn't figured it out yet. So I know that at some point you went to law school. Tell me about that, that how, was, how that happened. How many years between BU and law school? Four years, five years. Yeah. It was quite a few years. How did and, you decide I, to go down that road? Well, what, another person in my – I had an uncle who was a lawyer, and he wasn't a great role model uh, in some <laughs> ways. And, and, I, and I love him. But he didn't make being a, a, a lawyer look attractive or good. Uh, but I think I was probably cut out to be a lawyer in some ways. And, um, and so I was just putting off the inevitable by not going to law school. And I was driving up uh, Interstate 91 one day, heading for Greenfield. And I just made a decision while I was driving that I was going to apply to law school. And I, the next day, that's what I did. I don't know why. <laughs> it just it was, a, but it was a good move. And okay. I came back to Boston and where oh, I don't know where you went. I went to, to New England School of Law, oh, sure. which has also changed its name, and I don't want to say it wrong. So fair enough. So I'll go with what it was when I was. So there. what happens after law school? I joined a law firm in Hyannis, mm-hmm. uh, a small firm with two other attorneys. What kind of law were they? We did. Um, we did wills, estates, and trusts. Uh-huh. We were small town lawyers. We had no pretensions about anything big. We we took Friday afternoons off. Uh, we were very casual and laid back in our world. And I had a great career as a lawyer. I loved practicing law. I loved the law. And I continued through that whole period to be a volunteer firefighter. Mm-hmm. So this whole time when you are in law school afterwards when you're practicing, do you have that sort of spark in your mind that you might want to stop practicing and, and go full-time as... No. Yeah. No, it just it wasn't, wasn't in the cards. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoyed it, and it was, it was, it was fun, and, and I, I always loved being part of the fire service. And uh, it started to change in the 2000s. Um, I get I get involved more with the state and national volunteer fire service organizations. I, I get drawn in um, as the result of a, a death of a volunteer firefighter in Lancaster, and they needed an attorney to help the family and to help the town deal with a whole bunch of issues that had never really been flushed out properly. And I, I became involved, and I wrote legislation that Massachusetts enacted to uh, provide for death benefits for volunteer firefighters in Massachusetts. And that kind of launched me down this path. It was kind of a separate path, but it was still a legal path, and I was still seen. I was a firefighter lawyer at that Mm -hmm. point. And I became a member of the board of directors of the National Volunteer Fire Council, which I've been on their board of directors now, I think, for 19 years. And, and that kind of put me on a put my, my feet in two worlds yep. in a lot of ways. And then, 
Yeah. So it, it was an evolution. It didn't, yeah. didn't just happen. Well, I'm wondering, you know, if you brought up sort of the terrible truths about fire services is that it's an incredibly dangerous occupation. And is that in your back of your mind as one of the reasons you're going to stay a lawyer and not throw yourself into... No, because uh, as firefighters, it as a we don't think about that. We really don't. Um, is is that a necessity for the job that you just if you dwelled you if you dwelled on what we were actually doing, you wouldn't do it. Yeah, we do it because uh, I don't know. It's our mission in life. It, we're cut out for it. In in you know, last night I was out in the cold. We, we had a construction crew trenching a, a new gas main in our town, and I went out there last night to visit them. And I said, God, guys, I would never do this job. You know, they're, they're digging. It's, it's five degrees last night, and they're digging in the street. Uh, and, and they looked at me, and they said, we would never do your job. Yeah, Are you crazy? Yeah, I'm not going to run into a burning building. And for me, I'm thinking, that's ah, easy. But, you know, when you become chief or, or even as you get up in the fire station, you realize that firefighting is such a small piece of what we actually do day right. to day. right. Uh, it's a very complex business. I had seen also after just you know doing some research about you online that your you had to sort of adjudicate a, a recent el- election in West Barnstable that had gone awry, and I was like, why is the fire chief overseeing <laughs> well, overseeing a local election? This is this is one of the oddities of of, of for me is because I'm a BU management grad and I'm a lawyer and I'm a fire chief. I, I wear multiple hats yeah. for my community, and uh, I'm the fire chief, I'm the streetlight superintendent. I'm, I'm really the CEO of the fire district. We're an unaffiliated fire department, which is a little unusual in Massachusetts. There's, we're a separate fire district. We're uh, created by the state legislature. Uh, so I'm kind of, I'm the CEO and business manager of the operation. I'm also the fire chief, and I run this this you know, $3 million enterprise. Um, I have 60 employees, most of whom don't get paid. So that was my next question is how many volunteers of the, are you overseeing? And in talking with you, there's so much I'm learning that I have no inkling about how it all works. The fact that you could go from a career volunteer to becoming chief, granted you have some other sort of certifications. You know, with the, with the, with the BU degree, I was able to bluff my way into the job, uh, you know, because none of the other candidates for chief had gone to business school. Yeah. Uh, and they certainly hadn't gone to BU. Uh, and so that certainly was a, a factor that, that helped me make that leap. It's a difficult leap to make. Uh, it, it's just it's different everywhere like it depends on local government organization state is. level every yeah. state's different in massachusetts every city and town is different in, yeah. in how we're structured and we're organized and the nature of the job the person my colleague who introduced us mentioned that there are only you're one of only how many fire chiefs in the country something that i Oh, I'm, I, I, have a de- I have the designation from uh, it's the Center for Public Safety Excellence, which is an international accrediting agency for fire service. And I have this, the designation from them of chief fire officer. Okay. And that's where there's only, I think, 854 
in the, in the world. Right. Oh, in the world. In the world. There's only you know, that have ever achieved that level of uh, accreditation or certification. I would have just assumed growing up in Massachusetts that every town had a fire chief. Uh, what are the other things that m- the average listener <laughs> might not understand about your job? Well, I did a little study and I figured out that, that we spend about 4% of our time fighting fires. Mm. And the rest of the time when we're dealing with emergencies, there are medical, medical emergencies, yep. there are motor vehicle crashes, there are hazardous mm-hmm. materials incidents, there are mm-hmm. all kinds of things. And then we, have, we run an inspectional services division. So as chief, as fire chief, while I, it helps to know how to put out a fire, I don't think it's as essential as people think it is. It's really administration in a lot of ways, right? It, it's, it's even beyond administration. It's more strategic level planning and thinking that, that we have to work with. Yeah. Um, you know, it's budgets, it's human resource development, it's training, it's compliance with the external world that's, that's looking over us. All of that is really what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mistake a lot of communities make is they appoint their best firefighter as chief when um, that the job of chief, I can let the captains put the fire out. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they joke it's best if I stay in the office. Don't don't come out, Chief. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're down on the Cape, and which yes. is an interesting place to live in Massachusetts. There's a seasonality aspect to it. But I, you, you might not be aware of this, but the Cape area and Barnstable in, in particular, it's like the 13th largest alumni, BU alumni community in the world. There is are it a ton really? of alumni down there. I don't wow. know if you've got some BU connections that you might not be aware of. No, not not on the... I mean, I know there's a lot of BU grads around. Sure. We're not far from BU and, and you do see right. it a lot. So that doesn't surprise me, I guess. But I'm wondering, are you in the right place to do that kind of work? Is it harder because you are in these sort of seasonal communities where you, at times during the year, it's incredibly popular and then other times, you know, people are leaving in the winter or, you know, are, is there, are there tax structures that impact There's your ability to do all kinds of job? problems that are unique to Cape Cod. Yeah. But I think that's true anywhere you go. Yeah. That when you're trying to run a public safety agency, if we were in Nebraska, I think it's just as hard to run. It's just a whole different set of issues yeah. that you face. And I mean, obviously, we hear so much about, you know, the opioid problem having just a stranglehold on the Cape. Are you, yes. see, are you we seeing do see that, that in your job? Yeah, we do. So, you know, I keep hearing you say that you, you feel like you kind of stumbled into this. But I'm curious to know, you know, what keeps you in it? What are, what are the things about the job that make you happy? I, I love the people I work with. Yeah. I got a great staff. There's seven full-time people and about 40 volunteers in our organization. Wow. Uh, we're we're always progressing and, and moving forward. I, I like leading the organization. I, I like the challenge behind it. Uh, the great struggle that I have now is Massachusetts has a law that says that I have to retire at 65. So I'm going to be forced out in four years. Interesting. And I'm going to have to reinvent myself. And I'm... Uh, mentally struggling with this already. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what I'm going to do Are there next. people in your life, that other, you know, family, uh, friends that are sort of play that? We, we talked a lot about negative mentors, and I'm wondering if you've got positive mentors in your life that you can have that conversation with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I get a lot. I mean, I, I talk with my wife about this a lot. Uh, you know, she would be a positive mentor. Sure. You know, you know and... Yeah. Uh, sees it from a little different perspective. She's been in the newspaper and the business world, and she works here in Boston. So uh-huh. I, I rode up with her this right, 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 from the city on the commute. 
Well, your wife's in Boston, and you made a joke earlier about, you know, reopening Crossroads if you could find some investors. I don't know if I'm really – you know, there's, there's, there's a side of me that would love to come back to the city. There's a side of me that would like to go rural and go back to western Massachusetts. I, I don't know. I'm very conflicted at the moment. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, you know, one of the things we talk about on this podcast is just that, you know, people throughout their careers are have these big – big crossroads in front of them and crossroads. That's funny. That keeps coming up. But um, it's the process of making those decisions that I think we can learn from each other. And uh, it's it's never easy, right? It's just something that you kind of have to evaluate decisions. And Right. Yeah, we, we talk about these great management schemes like preparing for succession planning. I'm going to tell you that, that I'm training my replacement now, yeah. and it's not an easy task. To, to realize that uh, you're training your replacement. Yeah. Uh, and that's why succession planning probably fails for so many organizations because emotionally it's difficult to do. Yeah. Uh, but my organization needs to go on without me. And and that's a tough realization sometimes to uh, to realize I'm going to have to step out and uh, and let it go on a different path than, than I've been leading it on. Yeah. So you mentioned that you've had to reinvent yourself a couple times, and I'm wondering if now you look back on your BU experience, your law school experience, things that you might have chosen differently. I mean, do you feel like you would have ended up, you know, in, in continuing on in the fire service no matter what, or does it make you rethink? No, the fact that they're I, forcing you to retire at 65, does it make you rethink all the time that you've invested in the community? Oh, it, it makes me think about that, the yeah. community time, and how will I redirect that time? Because I, I feel like I, I still have more that I want to accomplish with the fire service. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. I, I look back at my time, and I don't think I would have done anything different. Nice. I, I don't have any big, big regrets. I get little things, you know, I, that, that, you know, I missed out on here or there, but, but nothing big. Yeah. Um, I was... You struck a nerve with me when you mentioned the fact that you, you know, went through BU, graduated with a degree, and still kind of didn't know what you wanted to do. And I, I don't think that's unusual for today's BU students either. And I'm wondering, after these many identities that you've had and the experiences that you've had, what would you say to somebody who's, you know, wrapping up at BU in a couple months and doesn't really know? Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, I, you know, there, there is a, there's a trend in the, I see it in the media, I see it on Facebook, and I, I see it in all these things that, that I, I call it the trade schoolism of college, that the purpose of going to college is to get a specific type of job or career. I don't believe that. I'm living proof that you can be you know, professionally successful, you can be, uh, you can be wealthy, you can, you know, I'm, I'm all these things. I've, I've succeeded by all of society's measures. I got great kids, they're in college now, I got great family, um, I got great friends, I, I get, I get it all. And at no time did I ever have that laser beam vision, you know, when I was a junior in high school, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a forensic psychologist who, who you know, these very narrow careers that I, I meet people today who have them going in high school. And I think, really, <laughs> 
I got news for you. <laughs> There's a world out there that you didn't envision. I didn't know there was such a thing as a degree in public communications until I arrived at Boston University and my first roommate was a student here in this building. I never even heard of this field of study before. Uh, when I arrived at BU, I had no clue what possibilities were out there. And, and I took classes here. Not only I took all the business management classes I was supposed to take, I took classes in local history. I took classes in American religions. I took a textiles class. I, I was all over the place. You, you, if, if somebody were to look at my transcript, they would say, this kid is going nowhere. <laughs> this kid is wasting his potential. He's wasting his parents' money. No. No, I believe very strongly that the educational basis that you get at this undergraduate level needs to be as broad and, and a little classical. Uh, you know, I learned a little bit John Silber was the, the pushing the classical education. I'll give him points for that. He, he was right. The, the more fields of study that we did, the better off we were going to be in life because I learned how to think. And at the end of the day, learning how to think and learning how to write and learning how to communicate with people turned out to be the skill that I needed to succeed. I didn't need a degree in engineering, although I'm really bad at math, so that wouldn't have been a school for me. But uh, that, that, that's my lecture. How's that? Now, now I'm the voice from above lecturing students. It's great, it's Joe, and, and I think that you just shared a lot of very sage advice, and, and I think my prediction at the beginning was right. It, it's obvious to me why any community would be lucky to have you uh, as, a, as a community leader and the fire chief, and uh, I think you've certainly earned that title. And on, on behalf of BU, thank you for the work that you're doing, and, and thanks for being here yeah. today. It's fun, and, and I love BU, and I still have all my friends, from my, the closest friends in my life, uh, are all from, not all, but mostly from BU. I still vacation with my roommates every year. That's great. It's That's great. great. I'm glad to hear it, and thanks again for sharing your story yeah. with us. Thank you. Thanks again to Chief Maruka for joining me on Proud to Be You. And I'd like to extend a special thanks to all the members of the alumni community who are serving as first responders on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. As you heard, we recorded this interview a while back, but our thoughts are certainly with Chief Joe and his entire team in the midst of this unprecedented challenge. We know that Joe and Terriers around the world are ready to rise to the occasion, and we wish all of you the best of health. On behalf of everyone on the BU Alumni Relations team, thanks so much for listening to Proud to Be You. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you find your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast.